Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Hi, I'm Hamid and today we'll be talking about Parkinson's disease. So what is Parkinson's disease? Well, Parkinson's disease is uh, considered a progressive neurological disease resulting in a collection of movement disorders that are believed to arise due to dysfunction in dopaminergic systems associated with movement. It's most commonly idiopathic, so we're not really sure exactly why this disease comes about. But we know that there are a number of key brain structures, especially the basal ganglia, that, are, that play an important role in the pathology of this disease. Before we talk about the neuropathology, let's talk about the normal pathology, uh, the normal physiology and neuroanatomy. So as I mentioned, basal ganglia plays an important role in this disorder, but it's also important for controlling skeletal muscle movements or regulating these movements. And it's comprised of a number of structures such as a striatum, comprised of caudate nucleus and the putamen. It's also comprised of globus pallidus, which is then divided into the external and internal segments, substantia nigra, which can further be divided into the substantia nigra pars reticula, and substantia nigra pars compacta, which is um, dopamin- uh, contains a high number of dopaminergic neurons. And there's another structure associated with this region called the subthalamic nucleus, which we'll talk about in, in this episode. Going further into the various circuits that we're referring to in this disorder, there are two key things that we need to mention within the basal ganglia and the systems involved. There are the direct pathway, which is um, results in an excitatory effect, so promoting movement. And there is an indirect effect, which is important for um, inhibiting movements. And it's the balance between this that's really important with regard to um, Parkinson's disease. Now, once these neurocircuits carry out their effects, there are some key outputs that they communicate to. So they communicate to the globus pallidus internal segment and the substantia nigra pars reticula, which in turn communicate to the thalamus and hence to the various regions that are then involved with movement. Having said that, as I mentioned, the pathways help regulate movement, but they are also important for other um, key movements such as eye movements, some uh, roles in cognitive function and emotional function because um, these neurocircuits are associated with the limbic system and limbic system, as you all know, is important for um, emotions. As I've mentioned, there are two pathways, the direct pathway and the indirect pathway. So the cortex, which is obviously where all the higher functions take place, communicates to the striatum, which I mentioned is comprised of the putamen and the caudate nucleus. Substantia nigra pars reticula also has effects onto the striatum, and the striatum then communicates to the globus pallidus and internus and the substantia nigra reticula, which then in turn communicate to the thalamus. The key difference between the direct pathway and the indirect pathway, as I've already alluded to, is the fact that the direct pathway ultimately results in a stimulatory effect, so it causes movement, and the indirect pathway causes an inhibitory effect on movement. Now let's link that to the pathology of what really happens. So from a pathophysiological point of view, it's the dopaminergic neurons lack of function from the pars reticula, so the substantia nigra pars reticula, and the olfactory and the GIT, which have been found to be associated with this disease process. So as a consequence of loss of these or dysfunction in these dopaminergic neurons, particularly of the substantia nigra pars compacta, there's decreased dopamine stimulating the direct pathway. And so if you lose that stimulation, the direct pathway has decreased excitatory effects on movement. And hence, this possibly explains why we see some of those movement signs and symptoms, which I'll get into um, in just a little bit. 
So well, what is causing this neuronal loss? And it's believed that alpha-cyanonuclein and protein accumulating in the neurons of these affected regions is important and brings about the neurotoxicity, particularly in this um, substantia nigra. It's not clear why this occurs, and there might be a possible genetic association that might explain 10 to 20% of cases. But this partially explains it. So obviously there's uh, um, lots of unknowns about this disorder as, as of yet, and hence why this is at this stage a progressive disease and one that we can't effectively treat or halt its progression. So what are these signs and symptoms that I've um, sort of been alluding to? Well, the key features of Parkinson's disease can be divided into positive motor signs and negative motor signs. By positive, I mean additional effects, additional movements that you might expect. So often you might have read in your textbooks that Parkinson's disease is associated with a resting tremor or a pin rolling tremor that can also have rigidity and stiffness as well. And from a negative motor sign, as you might imagine, if there's decreased excitation, they can experience bradykinesia. They might also fatigue easier as well. And that might be possibly due to depletion of dopamine within the remaining dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra parts compactor. Other um, symptoms that you might, or signs that you might observe is a shuffling gait and marks face, because as I mentioned, there's an association with the limbic system as well and regulation of emotion. A weak voice or um, hypophonia might be expected. Loss of balance, because the motor output pathways not only regulate conscious pathways, but also they can regulate pathways that are involved with maintaining postural muscles, and so these patients might experience postural instability. Cognitive dysfunction is often a late finding in patients with Parkinson's disease, and a specific cognitive dysfunction might be dementia or slowness in thinking and thought processing. Autonomic dysfunction may be observed. These include things like hypertension, but also um, urinary hesitancy may be another feature. And because these neurocircuitries are also associated with the limbic system, their patients may experience anxiety and depression as well. How do we diagnose and what are some of the investigations that we can consider? Well, from a diagnosis point of view or a diagnostic approach, clinical diagnosis is the uh, the key approach at this moment. moment. There's no laboratory biomarkers and as yet imaging plays very little or no role in the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. What's important though is to rule out other causes that might present like Parkinson's disease and these include tarpathies. So conditions like progressive supranuclear palsy, cortical basal degeneration, and other conditions such as dementia with Lewy bodies and multiple system atrophy. Secondary causes such as strokes, drugs like antipsychotics, which block dopaminergic pathways, hydrocephalus, and repeated head traumas must also be considered before making a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Finally, how do we treat these patients? Well, as you can imagine, this disease results from a lack of dopaminergic input. And so the principal treatment approach is to replace the lost dopamine within the brain. Having said that, as the disease progresses, the effects of pharmacological agents, which are supposed to replace this dopamine, decreases with time. And so patients might experience decreased stiffness, decreased movement problems, sooner than expected when, uh, when the dose, um, uh, with, with the expected dose. There's also motor fluctuations in their symptoms as well. So in terms of pharmacological approaches, there are a number of agents that we can use, and the most common one that is used is levodopa, carbidopa. So levodopa is a dopamine precursor. And the reason we give the combination of levodopa and carbidopa is the fact that carbidopa inhibits peripheral dopa decarboxylase, which is important for the conversion of L-dopa to dopamine. 
And so if we minimize the peripheral conversion of L-DOPA, it means that more uh, L-DOPA will reach the central nervous system where it can exert its effects. And it also means that we reduce, uh, use smaller doses, thereby minimizing toxicity and side effects. Other agents that can be considered are also dopamine antagonists. An example of that would be pramipexol. And there are other agents that are used as uh, adjunct or ancillary agents, things like um, drugs like amantadine, which uh, are actually interestingly uh, antiviral agents used for influenza, monoamine uh, oxidase inhibitors such as selegiline, and catechol methyltransferase inhibitors such as um, entercapone can be considered as well. Selegiline and entercapone also inhibit the breakdown of dopamine, thereby increasing the amount of um, dopamine within the brain. Surgical approaches um, can also be considered. An example of that is deep brain stimulation. But this is really going outside of the scope of um, the purpose of this discussion. But it's important to know that there are some surgical approaches that are considered. So that's it for this um, episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, If you have any questions or concerns, you can get in contact with us through our website, uh, thecommonrounds.org, through Facebook, Twitter, and obviously um, through YouTube as well. Thank you very much, and uh, we hope that you guys will join us in our next episode. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.